Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. It's March 31st, and we will look ahead at your April Fool's tax increases and who's getting a raise tomorrow. Also give you some reasons to visit your mechanic soon. But first, you know, they say the third time's a charm, but not when it comes to vaccines, specifically the National Advisory Committee on Immunization that has changed this guideline three times about the use of AstraZeneca in Canada. And just 53% of respondents to a recent poll had said that they would trust the AstraZeneca vaccine being given to themselves or their family members uh, to immunize them against the coronavirus, which causes COVID-19. Compared to others, way less. 82% said they'd trust the Pfizer vaccine. 77% said okay to the Moderna vaccine. 69% like the Johnson & Johnson and we haven't even used it in Canada yet. Why? Because we still don't have it. And this is the kicker. This is before the government went ahead on uh, Monday and said, yeah, we are advising that AstraZeneca not be used on people under the age of 55 because of blood clots in patients, primarily younger women in Europe. So here to talk about it, Dr. Colin Furness, an expert in infectious disease and epidemiology from the University of Toronto. Welcome to the show, Colin. Hey. I think, you know, three times this, this flip floppy, um, I guess position, which this is how I think it's perceived is, is it's flip floppy, um, on the AstraZeneca vaccine has really given a lot of us uh, a pause and, you know, an opportunity to think, well, what's next? So how damaging is it? Well, there's two things to consider. One is the science. And the fact of the matter is when these recommendations change, they change based on new information, new information, more information, better understanding. Guidelines should change on that basis, given the compressed timeline for developing the vaccine in the first place, which I think is most people would agree is, is miraculous we're playing catch up with, with some of the science. And that's that's the way that works. Every time we discover something new, we need to factor that into our understanding. But then there's the trust side. And I think the, the, the science side is quite defensible in terms of you change your guidelines when there's data to do that. It does harm trust. There's no question that your average member of the public sees that unclear or conflicting messaging and gets worried about it. That's, I think, entirely understandable. Moreover, it's easier to be afraid of vaccines, which you have the choice to get or not get, than it is mm -hmm. to be afraid of COVID, which is something that's a little bit more vague and that you can just kind of deny is, is a thing at your front door. So mistrust or, or lack of trust in vaccines, serious issue, understandable, unfortunate. Yeah, really unfortunate. I was shocked that I found myself looking at the latest announcement and thinking, whew, that's good news. I don't know that I want AstraZeneca now. Maybe I will wait. And I have the luxury that I can work from home. I don't have any dependents that are, you know, uh, kids that are going out to school. I can pretty much sequester myself and self-isolate. Not everybody's in that same boat. But I also have the luxury of talking to people like you, very intelligent, well-informed people, scientists like yourself, about um, what this means. And I'm still, I find that now I'm nervous about AstraZeneca. Can you um, maybe quell some of those worries or, um, you know, let us know what we should be worried about and what we shouldn't be worried about at the end of the day. So I think magnitude of risk is a really important thing to consider. The risk of getting COVID, your odds of getting COVID are, are not very low and they are increasing. And your odds of serious illness from COVID higher than ever before because of the contagious, the contagious variants. 
your odds of an adverse reaction to a vaccine are very low. They're bad. I mean, a blood clot is bad, but it's very, very low. It is something like one in a million. So if I were looking at it strictly from assessing it from risk or danger standpoint, I would, if offered the AstraZeneca vaccine today, I would get it because I know what's coming down the pipe in Ontario and elsewhere uh, in the next several weeks with the contagious variant. I wouldn't hesitate for a minute. The, the, if you give a vaccine to millions and millions and millions of people, you're going to have some adverse reactions or what look like adverse reactions. People get sick every day. People have adverse health consequences every day. If you give enough people that vaccine, you're going to see in the wake of the vaccine, some health outcomes. It can be very difficult, especially because it's so rare to decide, is it attributable to the vaccine or not? I think in the case of blood clots and the AstraZeneca vaccine, it is ambiguous. It, we, we really can't decide one way or the other. And that's the concern. And since most of the cases or all of the cases have been in younger women, we think, well, you know, the precautionary principle says this isn't the only vaccine. This isn't the only choice people have. So let's be cautious. I think the precautionary principle is at work here. If we see that there's this adverse reaction or what looks like an adverse reaction, and it's for part of the population, let's use a different vaccine with them. And, and I think that underscores one positive thing here, which is Canada bought a lot of different vaccines. We have choice. Yeah, but we... We do have choice, but we shouldn't wait until we get the right one, correct? If we're offered one, take that one. The best vaccine is the one that's available right now. And it, let's be really clear. The, the, the purpose of vaccinating the population is not to create immune individuals. It's not to make you immune. It's to make COVID go away. That's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do. We need to make COVID go away. And COVID will go away if we all get immunized. And the exact vaccine that you have, much less important than the fact that everyone get vaccinated. I was uh, talking to an epidemiologist who was of the belief that we may not be able to reach herd immunity because we're leaving out a major part of the population. That would be school kids. Pfizer said today that COVID vaccine is 100% effective in kids age 12 to 15. This is after stage three trials in that age group. How important of a story is this? Oh, it's important. And, and let's be clear. It's not that we thought Pfizer might be bad for kids. It's a question of the process. You test it in healthy adults first. That's just an ethics thing. You don't test it on pregnant women or children right away. You test it on healthy adults first. Now we've injected this into millions of people and we haven't seen bad side effects. So now we can say it's time to enroll kids. The study you're referring to of 12 to 15 year olds, it's a small study. So it's a question of something like 18 cases of COVID among a couple thousand um, teens and tweens and in, in, the, in the placebo group and none in the vaccinated group. So it's a question of 18 cases to no cases. That's mm -hmm. a small trial. But what it really does is say, okay, we've checked that box now. We can say this, this looks safe and it looks effective for kids. And I agree, uh, herd immunity is going to be greatly advanced by in, inoculating kids. I have about 20 seconds left with you, but can you explain why COVID-19, the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine is 100% effective on adolescents, but uh, doesn't have the same efficacy rate on adults? Oh, it's if we look, if we if we did a larger study or when we do a larger study on kids or, or teens or tweens, we'll find that it's not 100 percent either. This is this is a question of 18 cases versus none in a smaller study. They'll they'll be there'll always be some folks who get the vaccine who are still kind of susceptible just because we have differences in the population in terms of immune response. So I it, th this study basically says there the vaccine is quite effective in kids as it is in adults. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay attention to the difference. Amazing. Thank you very much, Dr. Furness. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Tomorrow, of course, 
a knee slapper of a day. It is uh, April Fool's Day. Fitting, since we're facing some tax increases on April Fool's Day. Um, here to talk about the tax increases that we are facing is Aaron Woodrick, who is with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We've gone right to the top for this one. He's president. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on, Aaron. How are you doing, Kelly? Well, you know, I could be better. I, I know that a lot of people are, are saving money during this pandemic, but odds are we're not looking at a raise. Before we get to the fact that tomorrow uh, MPs will be getting a pay raise, uh, I was reading earlier on this morning that uh, in the Toronto Sun, a, a list of things that Brian Lilly was uh, focusing on that will be going up. We know, let's start with the federal carbon tax. It will increase by 33% tomorrow. What's that going to look like for the average person? Like, where are we going to see the major increases? Well, the most obvious place will probably be at the gas pump, right? Um, the increase is $10 per ton. So that works out to three or four cents. It's a bit like uh, the proverbial boiling of the frog, Kelly. Like every year it goes up three or four cents. It's going to go up every year like that till 2030. Uh, and by that point, you could be looking at, you know, we've estimated anywhere from 15 to $20 extra in tax when you fill up your car. So it will become significant over time. Wait, didn't I see a sticker on the gas pump about that? <laughs> you did. You were It was hard to read. read. It was peeling <laughs> off. It was peeling off, Aaron. What about on uh, natural gas? Yeah, so look, anything that's uh, anything that involves carbon emissions um and so it's not just gas, not just other forms of uh, energy. It's anything for example that's transported on a truck, right? Trucks need gas. So you're going to see prices for things increase over time. And this is just, um, you know, it comes at a bad time, to say the least. Yeah, that that's for sure. So we're going to see it at the grocery store because the cost of uh, groceries will be going up. We'll see it probably in heating your home. Uh, what about propane for the barbecue? That going up too? Yeah, look, nothing nothing is immune. If it has uh, carbon emissions in it, um, it is going to be impacted that. Or if it's transported or delivered to you by something that uses uh, carbon emissions or emits carbon. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see higher prices. Yeah. Do we think? Do you think we're gonna see higher prices for delivery of groceries? I was just thinking. You know, throughout this pandemic, especially when we're at you know new, the, the, you know peaks in uh, cases, I tend to go back to online grocery shopping. Is that going to be one of the places where we will uh, see prices going up? Yeah, it very well could. Look, it, it doesn't really matter what the, the cost increase is. I mean, we've seen it with minimum wage hikes too. You know, people like to see uh, people get paid more, but the result is that cost gets passed on. So it doesn't matter uh, what the nature of the cost is. If you're a business and you're trying to not lose money, you don't really have much choice other than to raise prices. Why is there a significance for, you know, April 1st on why taxes go up each year on April 1st? Or is that just like a colossal joke that the government is playing on us or just a weird coincidence? Yeah, that's our that's our inside joke is that maybe somebody with a wry sense of humor thought it would be a good idea to do that April Fool's Day. But it is, you know, there are a lot of entities that have their fiscal year sort of not January 1. And for some reason, uh, things like these tax hikes happen on uh, on April the 1st. We're going to also going to be paying for something that's really helped a lot of people through the pandemic. In fact, uh, some people would argue it's hurt people through the pandemic, but we're going to end up paying more for alcohol. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is a really strange tax and one we've been flagging for a couple of years. Uh, it's been around since 2017. It's called an escalator tax and it raises the price of uh, excise taxes on beer, wine and liquor, but it does it automatically. So there's no vote. There's no you know fanfare. No one has to stand up and acknowledge it. It just happens automatically in the legislation. And we think that's a big problem because one of the only protections people have against tax hikes is 
politicians know they're unpopular. So if they have to stand up and announce them and vote on them, um, that gives some protection uh, to people who have to pay it. But this automatic tax hike that comes every year on, on alcohol, we think is a real problem and sets a really bad precedent for other types of taxes. And it's based on inflation. Is that right? Not just uh, based on the quantity? That's right. So depending on the overall consumer price index, they they come up with a figure and then they increase the excise tax by that amount. Of course, you won't be surprised to know that if uh, inflation's down, if there's deflation, that doesn't mean the price goes down. It's a one-way escalator and the taxes only go up. Is there anything else on your radar before we get to the MPs getting raised? Those are the two big ones, but I mean, we've got a budget coming. So in a couple of weeks, so we're going to be watching pretty close there to see if there are any other uh, tax increases or cost increases. Okay. I, I don't know um, how to bring this up, but it to me, this stinks. I mean, this is, it's, it's kind of an affront to Canadian taxpayers to me and also to people dealing with the pandemic, to business owners that have been uh, just struggling throughout this pandemic, to people that have had their wages cut. Members of parliament will get an automatic a wage increase as of tomorrow. You know, some people would say it's not, it's not that much. It's 1.7%. And that barely keeps up with inflation. It's about $3,200, according to Brian Lilly in the Toronto Sun. So we already know that MPs earn about $182,000 a year. Uh, that's their basic uh, yeah. sessional indemnity. Um, this is, to me, appalling that they're going to be getting a, a pay raise. It's automatic and it starts tomorrow. Yeah, it's a terrible look, to say the least. Uh, you would think that they would have the good sense to recognize now is not a good time to be getting a pay raise when you've got people who are struggling, businesses shuttered, people have lost their jobs, taken pay cuts. It's just a terrible look. And it's the simplest thing for them to freeze it. We asked them to do it last year. Uh, to their credit, about two thirds of MPs agreed to donate their pay increase last year to uh, to charity. So we thought that was good. But there's no excuse this year. They've had a year, just hit pause. Uh, you know, Kelly, we've seen this in other countries. The Prime Minister of New Zealand, she's she's been given great accolades for handling the pandemic. The first few weeks of the pandemic, she came out and cut her own pay by 20%. And she, you know why she did it? She said she wanted to show leadership and solidarity and show the people of her country that she understood that people are making sacrifices. She was going to share in that. And we haven't seen any of that here at the federal level. Um, so, you know, we're hoping, we've been talking to some members of parliament. The good news is there are some that understand this. We're hoping uh -huh. something will come of it. And it may take, uh, you know, we're hoping to see something in the budget, actually, like I just mentioned in a few weeks, that will see this rolled back retroactively. So stay tuned for that. Oh, so they'd have to uh, pay it back. Yeah, well, they, they'd only be receiving the hike for two weeks. So they would just give that back and then it would be frozen. And so that's what we're hoping for now. I mean, it's it's not going to get frozen by uh, tomorrow. But we're hoping with a budget in, uh, in just under three weeks that they will find a way to, to understand. This is just a terrible look to be getting a raise rate. Yeah, agreed. MPs already make 3.4 times what the average Canadian earns. They had a year, as you said, plenty of time to draft and pass legislation. They didn't. To me, it's not enough. To me, it's it's kind of um, it's self-promoting when you say, hey, I'm going to give this money back. I mean, it gives puts a gold star next to their name and it sh they shouldn't be allowed to have that money anyways. 
Yeah, look, it's. I just don't think it's should be controversial right now. I mean, the pandemic has been terrible for most of the world, and most people are suffering one way or another. And I don't think it's too much to ask people who, uh, you know, have a much more stable and job and make more money to make some sacrifice. I mean, we're not we're not asking people to give up their whole salary. We're just saying maybe stop taking more right now when a lot of people are are really struggling to get by. It doesn't help with public confidence or public buy in. You know, when the people making all the decisions that are that are hurting a lot of people. Um, you know, are getting a, a pay raise right now. Yeah, I guess they're looking at it as in, uh, yeah, you can conversely flip that and say, well, we're helping a lot of people. We're, we're spending big. Since uh, big spending seems to be the name of the game these days during the pandemic, Aaron, is it hard to be a, a, the taxpayer watchdog at this time? Well, look, well, we understand it's an uh, unprecedented situation. So we don't treat this circumstance like normal. For, for example, th- normally we don't support taxpayer subsidies for business, but we think this is a different situation because if a government shuts down a business, it's a bit like a doctor putting you in a coma. They're kind of obligated to provide you with life support, right? So yes, it's a little different, but I do think that the public understands the difference between emergency temporary spending and sort of permanent deficit spending. And I think that's going to be the interesting debate coming out on the other end of this. Um, I don't think the government's okay with spending now and help people who need it. I don't think that means everyone's okay with spending unlimited amounts forever after the pandemic. And I I think the government, uh, you know, if they're going to start spending in that manner, they may be in for a rude awakening. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate your time today and have yourself an interesting April Fool's Day. (laughs) Same to you, Kelly. Uh, That poor woman yesterday on the uh, 401 runaway tire. This is a story we hear. It seems um, every year at this time, and it's either now in the spring or in the fall when you're putting your snow tires on, about a tire flying off someone's car, ending up um, causing a major accident or almost hitting someone. This, In this case, a high-flying tire almost ended a woman's life as she drove on the 401 yesterday in Mississauga. And it is jam-packed. I've driven the 401 in Mississauga. It seems like there's always so much traffic along that stretch of the 401. This woman's car is completely uh just bashed in the the windshield is caved in it's it's like carnage it's amazing she survived here is carrie schmidt the driver of this vehicle had less than a second to see what was coming and had no opportunity to react she is lucky to be alive to say the least had that wheel been just a few inches over um it would be a completely different story right now Wow, just a few inches. Think about that when you're talking about something as big as a tire on your car. Carrie Schmidt was on the morning show again with Mike Stafford this morning. Here's what he had to say, um, you know, on further reflection, having time to look at what ha- what happened that actually led to this accident. The shocking thing is on that truck that when we went and inspected the other three tires that were still attached, they were all loose. Wow. All of them loose. And, you know, this is one thing that I did not know until we covered this story. I think it was a year or two ago, Chris, about, you know, tires flying off cars or flying off trucks at this time of year when you switch over the, the snow to the uh, the all-season tires, is that after driving for about 100 kilometers, you're supposed to go back into your mechanic and they will, for free, check to see that all the nuts and bolts are attached appropriately. 
you know, and it actually happened to a friend of mine. I was, uh, and I think I probably told the story on the air before driving back from a cottage down the 400. She calls and says, listen, um, do you mind just following slow behind me here? Because I feel like there's a clunking going on in my front tire and I don't know what it is. Let's try and get back into the city safe and sound, you know, going about a hundred down the 400. And all of a sudden her car drops down to the ground. We didn't even see the tire until we noticed it was like up in the air and rolling down the highway and uh, sparks were flying from under her car. She wow. sawed off the whole rotor of her car because of it. So there's a lot of damage that can be done. It's not just that the tire did no damage to anyone. We found it um, way, way down the 400 and we're, was, we're able to safely bring it back. But there is no, the, the rotor was destroyed. The, the, you can do a lot of damage to your car, not just other people's. Okay, so you heard the interview that we did a couple of years ago where they said you have to go back after 100 kilometers. You had that mm-hmm. experience with your friend. Do you go back and get your tire checked? No, I do not. Neither do I. So I, I started doing it because the dealership <laughs> makes me do it. They're, they say, well, you got to come back and get your nuts retorqued. And I'm like, excuse me? And you, they're like, Listen, if, if a dealership <laughs> wants to torque your nuts, you don't say no. Exactly. You just say yes. I think, don't they? Aren't they always torquing your nuts? It's my understanding Somehow, that they charge yeah. a lot more. Than uh, some mechanics nuts. do, yeah. the dealers. Oh, what a sucker. You going to the dealer? Why? <laughs> You're not. It's on warranty probably, right? No. Yeah. yeah. No. I never I never go to the What Chris said. I've, you know what? I've never bought a new car in my life. It's true. You just get hand-me-downs I bought a new-to-me car. No, no. That was only one. That was only one. <laughs> yeah, right. I, no, I bought a new-to-me car. Mm. It's like, because uh, it's I remember when you went through that. that two years ago when you, when you got that new-to-you car. Mm-hmm. I had to I sit here and talk to you about it. Good times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I won't put you through that again. Here is Lisa, the woman in the car, explaining what happened. It looked sky high, and I, it just looked like it was coming down straight, straight through my windshield. Yeah. And I just had had nowhere to go, no time to react. It was, it was, it was there. Yeah. Because it was coming straight down. When you look at that SUV all smashed, it's a perfect shot to the middle of the car, like midline, boom. It looks like uh, you, you wouldn't even have time to duck. And if you did have time to duck, that's terrifying because, on, as I said, on that stretch of the 401, it's crowded mm-hmm. at all times of day. Here's what Lisa said. She said, I have a lot to be grateful for. I, I am just... I thank God that I'm alive today, and I thank all the wonderful people that stopped immediately to give me some support and assistance. Wow, that is uh, frightening. Okay, hopefully we do the right thing, and all of us that have never gone back to the dealer or wherever we get our snow tires or other tires switched over, get your nuts we uh, do it. We, we go to get the nuts retorked. All right, um, don't make plans for Easter. Ford is hinting at more restrictions, and here's what he had to say. Nothing's more important than than our health. You know, the economy, yes, it's important, but that can wait. Without uh, people's health, we won't have an economy. So everything's on the table, and I'll be out uh, over the next couple of days. But please, I'm, I'm asking folks, uh, don't make big, huge plans with uh, family members. That's where the, the problems start. So that's my request. Ford is kind of his own worst enemy. Um, I know... I- I talk on the fly on a daily basis, but don't make big, huge plans. How about don't make plans at all? Like to me, anybody who wants to read into that goes, yeah, okay, I'm all right. We're just mixing two families. It's not big, huge. So, and I think you can't really give people a wiggle room on these things. Here's Trudeau on Easter. Again this year, 
we won't have the kinds of celebrations we were all hoping for because we just can't afford to let our guard down. I know I've said the same thing before every major holiday over the past year, but this time what's different is that even if the end of the pandemic is in sight, the variants mean the situation is even more serious. We still have a shot at Christmas. <laughs> Nicely that, done, Rob. I, I knew that you, you did add that. Um, <laughs> still have a shot at Christmas. Can you imagine if this thing goes on until next Christmas? Oh, Lord, I don't even know if we have a shot at next Christmas. Listen, it, it, according to uh, Dr. Chegla, who's been on the show several times, we are almost out of this, but this is a really important time. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but we just have to make sure that we keep up with our our public guidelines, our, our distancing, and we don't gather with anybody outside our household. That that includes mom and dad. If they live in a different place, guess what? You're not doing Easter together this year. You know, I think um, this pandemic, what it's going to do is it's either going to um, create new traditions where you do step away from those old traditions where, you know, it might have always been at mom and dad's house in the past. Maybe moving forward, that doesn't become a thing, but it will also, I think, help with some... Um, when we are able to get together for family gatherings, maybe they'll be a lot kinder. Maybe they'll be less torturous, you know? <laughs> well, no, because people true. go, I remember when, it's you know, true. yeah, what you're yeah. saying is irritating and we're falling back into old patterns, but I remember when we couldn't see each other and that was not ideal. So I don't know, maybe it'll be a learning experience. Ugh, maybe everyone just will be that. okay for um, Easter on Orthodox Easter, May 2nd, come <laughs> join me and my family because we've rolled the ball. Apparently, we've the Orthodox Church has rolled the Easter egg all the way down the field, and we're not doing Easter till May 2nd. So I think that there's a, a bit of a buffer. Maybe that'll be a safer time for everyone to get together. And what do you do in Orthodox Easter on May 2nd? Is there anything that, I mean, you, clearly it's going to be different the, the this really year, but normal thing. times. Normal times is what the the thing that I always look forward to is playing the egg game. You smash two eggs together. Everyone goes around the table and finds out who's got the toughest egg. They're all hard-boiled. You paint them, you decorate them, mm. and then you hit them end to end, and the winner takes all the eggs. Okay. Do you ever, well, do you ever after... slip a non-hard-boiled one in there just to see what happens? <laughs> There's an old story that my grandfather tells of a guy who came to church and with a wooden egg and <laughs> cleaned up. You got all the eggs, and he that was probably during the Depression or something. Egg? So, it's, yeah. <laughs> so this guy probably made out like a bandit and stole everyone's eggs, and this was probably during the Depression. Given, Wait, <laughs> given so the what happens? Frame. You you have the hardest egg. You get to take someone else's egg. You get all Is the it, eggs. What What do you do with the eggs after? <laughs> You're stuck with a bunch of hard boiled eggs. Wah, wah. Stu- yeah, exactly. Egg you put salad, them in the fridge I guess. And say I'm going to make egg salad, and then once you open up that Ziploc bag, you're like. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a fun uh, Orthodox <laughs> Easter tradition in my book. So after hey, we're you, Eastern European, it's weird. After you find out who has the hardest egg, do you then get your nuts torqued or <laughs> no? <laughs> I, it was a callback. It was a callback to an <laughs> earlier conversation. It was timely. All right, did you hear about that woman in custody after a disturbance in front of Drake's uh, palace at the bridal path? I uh, sorry, uh, Drake's place at the bridal path. It looks like a flipping palace. He has an NBA size regulation court. Don't we at all? his house? <laughs> oh, sorry. Only the Trebizans ah, and Drake, Rob. Only snap. the Trebizans and Drake. Uh, but they were apparently she had a knife outside his his uh, palatial compound, and it really is a compound. How do you get those gates? Look ridiculous. 
If you have that much money and you have to put up a gate like that, guess what? You got ripped off. You didn't buy a big enough property. Hey, listen, listen. Yeah, I don't know. He just wants you to listen. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily between 9 and noon on 640 Toronto. You can get us at 640toronto.com.